The question is raised by the prophet, why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Wilt thou indeed be to me like a deceptive stream or a liar with water that is unreliable? Listen to the answer of the Lord to the prophet. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me you will stand, and if you extract the precious from the worthless or the vile, you will become my spokesman or as my mouth. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of the living God. We've read it knowing that this is your word. We pray now that as I speak, you would give me the ability to utter the thoughts that are in your heart concerning it. I pray, Lord, that beyond my ability to speak, that you would speak and cause clarity and accuracy to come, be manifested within us. We stand with you in opposition to the lies of the enemy, and may the purpose of the Lord be established in us in truth. We pray, Lord, that signs and wonders would confirm the word of God, not only in this meeting, but throughout this week. And may we have the ability by the Holy Ghost to see that these are really signs that confirm your word that has been spoken today. In Jesus' name, amen. We began last week in a most interesting series that I have entitled The Lure of Logical Lies. I've dealt with a number of issues, and actually from the scripture text, it deals more with developing a sacred people in what we term as a secular society, and more specifically, with facing the reason for my pain and understanding why my wounds have not yet been healed. In this series so far, we've learned two sets of things, really three. First, I've talked to you about the meanings of the key words that are part of the title of this series, what it means to be logical and what logic is. I've talked to you about the definition of a lie. I've talked to you about the word lure, what a lure actually is. And I've related all of this to uh, religion. We've related this to religion. Secondly, I've talked to you and, and, and have spent most of the time last week uh, the remainder of the time giving you several examples of logical lies with the intention of showing you how to discern them, that is, how to judge them, how to see them for what they really are. And then thirdly, we ended almost somewhat haphazardly, not quite as succinctly and clearly as I wanted to, but we ended with how to deal with these logical lies, that is, through the renewal of the mind. God wants Remember this principle? God wants to change not only what you think, God wants to change the way we think. Say that please. God wants to change not only what I think, God wants to change 
the way I think. Now, it's important in this message that I am able to, uh, to do a number of things in order to bring us up to speed of where I believe the Lord would have us to be at least at this point in this teaching. In this message today, I will review some of the definitions. If you want to write these things down, you may try to get a little sheet of paper or uh, get near someone that does. I'll review the basic definitions, uh, both from the biblical understanding of the words as well as in the cases where we can, but in the cases where we cannot, I will deal with them from a modern definition, Webster's Dictionary. Secondly, I'm going to talk to you about, again, about some of the scriptural descriptions of lies, of liars, and of logic, which will hopefully help us to thirdly uncover the root cause and the objectives of logical lies. It's very important that we see them and that we understand them. And then fourthly, if we have time, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, what the destiny is of a logical lie. Once we expose what uh, the destiny is, or really what the root causes of, of a lie are, then we can see where it's headed, what it's really going to produce, what it's going to do. And so we want to see what the destiny is of those who believe them, or those who obey them, and in some cases, those who are enslaved to, uh, to them. Finally, we're going to talk a bit about having uh, the will of God so clear in our own hearts and minds that we're able to see and, and learn how the Scripture tells us to deal with these death traps. It's a lot on the agenda today, and of course we will not have the opportunity to do all of them, so we'll get started with what we can and pick up in a couple of weeks, I guess, with what is left. I talked to you a little bit last week about what a lie is. The word lie basically means a manifestation of untruth. In fact, we learn from the Old Testament, which is where we took most of these words, that a lie basically means, uh, or to lie means to deal falsely, to trick someone, to cheat someone. It means to be involved in deception then and in deceit or in fraud, in wrongdoing. It also means to disappoint or to fail someone. Webster's Dictionary defines a lie and lying in the, in the following two ways. As a noun, of course, the word means an assertion of something known or believed by the speaker to be untrue with the intent to deceive. And that's very important to understand about a lie because many times when people say something or do something, they're not necessarily trying to deceive you. They actually believe what they are doing. And so therefore, in their own minds, it's not a lie. But the actual, the actual key is that there is deception involved with a lie. Sometimes some, a person may respond and say something and be mistaken about something that they're saying. And in that sense, it is not a lie. They're simply making a mistake. It's a lie in the sense that they, they, they have been deceived themselves or do, they do not know what the truth is, but they are not trying to lie to you or me. You follow what I'm saying? They're not trying to deceive you or me. It is something that misleads, however, or deceives. So whether it is it is conscious or unconscious that it's going on. It is basically a thing that is deceptive. Now, here's the interesting thing about a lie. Again, I want to repeat from last week. is that uh, when a person lies, it means to make an untrue statement with the intent to deceive, which is what I just said. Second side of that is it means to create a false or a misleading impression. It means you look one way on the outside, but basically within, you are not who you really say you are, or at least on that particular issue. 
So some of the words that mean the same thing as lying is to prevaricate, to, uh, to palter, to fib, uh, we would say to psych someone out or to dupe them or to be untruthful. Now, it's, it's also important to understand again what, uh, what logic is. I'm going to look at what logic is because I've used these two words in a very important way. The lure of the logical lie. What does it mean to be logical? Definition of the word is of or relating according to logic. That doesn't give us much help. But it's the science that deals with the criteria of establishing the validity of an influence and a demonstration. What that means is it's the science that basically sets up a certain standard for determining what is true or what is not true. And as we get involved with logic then, it gets involved with reasoning. Obviously in reasoning you deal with the most important things and then you try to break it down. You may say one statement and you try to prove point by point by point by point that whatever it is that you believe is proved by all of these points. So to be logical then means that a person is capable of reasoning or often using reasoning or using a reason in an orderly and a compelling fashion. Preachers do that. I hopefully do that week after week as we gather here, at least in our Sunday morning gatherings, but also as we're involved in teaching. Everyone does it at some point in time in their life. I'm not here to suggest that God is necessarily illogical, but it is important to understand or that he's anti-logic. The word basically in the scriptures means an argument, reasonings, the way we look at things, an argument. And that usually many people are, 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 are a bit um, uh, uneasy with logical people because logical people have a tendency to make sure that you cover at least what they perceive to be every important compelling point that proves that you are right or wrong. It's very important to a logical person. Most of us tend to be somewhat logical in the way we do things. It just depends, I guess, on what it's about or what we're talking about. But it is, it is extremely important to understand that, that logic in and of itself is not necessarily truth. You can take just about any particular argument and prove it from a logical standpoint, if you follow what I'm saying, okay? That's how a lot of people end up in prison. They was in the wrong place at the, quote, right time or at the wrong time. And even though an individual was not there to actually see them uh, participate in what someone else did because they was with the group, logic dictates that because you was there, these persons are your friends, you was holding the door open for them, you were a part of it. But in actual reality, you probably had been duped or psyched into being there in the first place. You did not know that your friends had cocaine and that it was a drug bust. You didn't know that. You were standing at the door waiting on them because they told you they were going to get some money out of their drawer and while you were standing there the cop shows up and it's a drug bust. But logic dictates with a person who is not there, you were there holding the door, your friends are in there, they've got the cocaine, you are a part of it. You understand how logic sometimes may really be a lie. And there are many, 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 many examples like this in life particularly as it relates to God, to the church, and to what's going on with God, to Jesus Christ. Part of the reason for this message is not an attempt to down a, any single person, but simply to say that there are many, many people who do not understand this about life, and so therefore they assume that because they are able to add that they're coming up with the right conclusions based upon their own reasoning. 
But see, our reasoning is influenced by standards of belief. They're also influenced by experiences that we have gone through. They're also influenced by uh, traumatic experiences that we've gone through or traditions that we have been exposed to. So it's important. See, if a, if a man dogs you as you're growing up, then logically you can begin to deduce that all men are this way, but they are not. If a woman dogs you, does something bad to you, then you can logically deduce that every time someone cracks a joke or a sister does something to play a practical joke on you, that she is out to dog you. She's not out to dog you. If you were exposed to any person that was abusive in authority and someone comes along and it is strong in his or her authority with you or opinionated with you, the logical deduction can be that this individual is abusive. It's not necessarily true that the person is being abusive. You see what I'm saying? Or vice versa. If you grow up in a situation where, where persons could be trusted and you could almost always count on them to do the right thing, when you get in a situation where the person is not always communicating with you, you have a tendency to trust them. Why? Logic dictates so. The primary people in your life have been that way. Your father was that way. Your mother was that way. Your sisters were that way. Your brothers was that way. The preacher was that way. If the man said he was going to do something, he did that. No more. Now you get in a situation, you just kind of go through life being that way because you had trustworthy leadership. You get under someone who isn't trustworthy and you just kind of assume that they are trustworthy. Logic dictates so. That's the power of logic. That's the power of it. It's the influence of it. You run into a bad preacher who dogged you, then it's very difficult for me as a preacher to ever get over that hump with you. It's very difficult. Very difficult. You get divorced and you marry again, it's very difficult for that spouse, that new spouse, to get over the junk that the old spouse did to you. Logic influences you. I'm not going to let it happen to me again, ever again. Logic now dictates that you enter into what is supposed to be a relationship that requires and gets out of you 100% commitment. Now it gets 25 or 50% because you refuse to ever be hurt anymore. Logic does that. It's logical. It's only logical that if you've been hurt in the past that you're not going to enter another relationship that is similar and go through the same thing again. Does that make sense to anybody, what Pastor Ray is talking about here? <laughs> and yet the question resounds to us from the prophet. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Interestingly, uh, when these kind of things occur, we can even respond this way to God. And here's the question he asks to God. God, are you going to be to me like a liar? It's amazing what will happen in the life of any individual when, in fact, those individuals have been impacted negatively by those who particularly say that they represent Jesus Christ. This is part of the reason why I believe God is sending this message, because we as a church, not just the preacher, but we as the church must understand the influence that God has given us also and how we can impact upon the way people think about God himself, not just about us. That's very, very important. Let's move on here a little bit then, and we want to talk a little bit uh, about uh, and give some scriptural descriptions of what lies do. Now, you won't be able to turn to all of these, but we'll just take a look at a few of them, then that way we can just kind of uh, 
speak on some of the others, and you can write the scripture references down and check them on your own. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 58. And I'll give you a few moments to turn there. Verse 3. Psalm 58. Now, verse 1 of that particular psalm actually is addressing leaders. Sometimes the word God, G-O-D-S, little g, not capitalized, refers to judges. It was a way of dealing with it because they actually thought that judges or rulers, persons who came into political power, were actually there by divine right. They were in some way connected with God. And so they were often thought of as gods. You know, yes, your highness or your majesty. See, those were names that, that you ascribed and Titus ascribed to a god. Yes, your worship and so forth. And so when you see that word, little g, gods there, it doesn't mean demons necessarily, even though those of us who have studied the scriptures from a spiritual warfare standpoint understand what that is, uh, that there is a direct connection often with leadership and demon spirits that they are influenced, that's what I mean, often by demon spirits or they're fighting them or whatever, that, uh, that, that's not what we're talking about here. It says, do you indeed speak righteousness, O gods? Do you judge uprightly, O sons of men? No, in heart you work unrighteousness. On earth you weigh out the violence of your hands. Look at this. The wicked are estranged, are strangers to, from the womb. Those or these who speak lies go astray from birth. So we see here that uh, lies and liars are wicked. The word wicked there actually means criminal. Criminal offense against God. Read verse 4. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like a deaf cobra that stops up its ear. You know, supposedly you could play a little flute and charm a cobra. And so they said a liar is like a person who's a deaf cobra. There's nothing to charm a liar. Nothing to do to get a liar's attention, seemingly, on the surface so that it does not hear the voice of the charmers or a skillful caster of smells, or spells. God's word here says, uh, oh God, shatter their teeth in their mouth. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you can get an idea of how God deals with lies and liars. Break out the fangs of the young lions. Lies are deceptive things. They're wicked. They're criminal things. Proverbs 14, verses 5 and 25. Just go over one book. We'll kind of stay nearby here. We won't be able to go through all these references, but it will help us a bit to be able to read some of them. The book of Proverbs, chapter 14. Listen to what the Bible says about a faithful person in relationship to a liar. I'm going to start with verse 1 so we can put it in the context, and you'll see that there is a... This whole chapter deals with the contrast between a fool and a wise man, or a fool and a faithful man. Look here. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is crooked or perverse in his ways despises him. And the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. See that contrast back and forth all the way through. Look at verse 5. A faithful witness will not lie, will not be involved in falsehood or deception or things that mislead. But a false witness speaks lies. Speaks means continuously. Continuously speaks lies. We won't have time to go through the others, but notice Daniel chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible teaches us that astrologers are liars. Amos chapter 2, verse 4, we discover that, that, uh, that liars are those who lead the people of God astray. Now, the word astray means off the path, out of, uh, out of that which is right. 
So in God's mind, a lie is something that is opposed to what he considers to be right. Not just what the preacher thinks is right, but what God thinks is right. God speaks his, through his word, speaks through his word. Interestingly, I want to say this, that one of the major lies that the enemy has uh, in, the, in, the, in the church is that somehow we really don't need to read or know the word of God. That when we get into confrontations or difficulties, that all we need to do is to be able to remember what was said. And uh, all we really need to be able to do is remember and recall the tradition in which we were raised. Now, there's really nothing wrong with tradition necessarily. The scriptures are a tradition, but uh, not everything that is traditional is truth. See, the scriptures are the truth. When everything is said and done, this is what we will answer to. And so when all these arguments and things arise and these debates and difficulties and we can't settle anything, how to spend money, where to go, what to do, who rules the rules and so forth and all that, when you can't, when you can't really make those kind of decisions uh, and, and come up with an agreeable solution, it, it may be because we don't know the Word of God, because God addresses these issues in His Word. And the attitude, here's what I'm saying, the attitude that the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible, is really not relevant, that I really don't need to know it for practical decision-making is the ultimate of lies. I don't need the Word of God to determine who I am as a man. I don't need the Word of God to help me understand what my role is as a husband. I don't need the Word of God to help me determine what my role is as a father. I don't need the Word of God to determine what my role is as a pastor. I don't need the Word of God to determine what my role is as a citizen in society. I don't need the Word of God. I just basically run off of whatever I think and whatever I feel because actually everybody knows the Uzi's rule in the street, right? See, that's where we go. We go there. It's a survival of the fittest attitude. Okay, if I can't get you to listen to my, re my reason, my reason for doing what I'm doing, then I blow your brains out. So I just handle it another way. I just come off on you with brute strength. See, dodge this. Get away from this. I blow your brains out. I'll leave you. See, that's where we go. That's, that's that beastly mentality. So that's how animals do things. That's how goats are, bulls. They get sick of each other, just boom. No more conversation, let's just bang. It's in their nature. See? But that's not the way God does things. Now, on the street out here, you know, I grew up in North St. Louis, but on the street out here, that's the way it is. If you don't like my reason, or I can't force you to accept my reason, then I take over your life. And if you don't like it, that's just you. That's your problem. See, and a lot of that junk goes on in church. You don't like my reason, you don't take my reason, then I'm through. See, that's not the way God does business, though. Now, if he has to, we read already read from Psalm 58, you know, he will crack some teeth if he has to. But that's normally not the way God likes to do business. If the only level he can get on is crack your teeth and break your jaw, you know, then hey, but that's usually, please understand this, and let's look around, let's understand this, that's usually God's last resort. God doesn't get mad like we do and go off and crack your teeth and break your jaw the moment you get upset with him and shake your fist in his face and cuss him out and leave him. It's not the way God does business. We do that. That's human. It's human beings. We don't like it, we ice you. We get rid of you. You know, you don't love me, you don't want me, if I can't have you, can't nobody have you. The logic behind that is, I can't live without you. 
See? That's the logic behind that. You ever ask yourself, how could a person come to that point? If I can't have you, can't nobody have you, so I'll kill you and me and leave a note. See, the logic behind that is I am, I am insecure and you brought something into my life that I don't want ever to leave and I'm going to do all within my power. You ever sit down and listen to a criminal talk? I'm, I'm going to do all within my power to keep what I know I've got to have because can't nobody take what's mine. That includes your wife, your kids, your husband, your job. Can't nobody take it and not have to deal with you. Uh, there, there's an element of that that's true. You know, you, you should, you're right. You have every right to be offended by it, but you don't have a right to take somebody else's life because of that. Well, I want to hurt somebody. Well, the logic behind that is uh, I'm hurt. Eye for eye, two for two. I hurt, you hurt me, therefore you deserve to be hurt, and I'm going to be involved in the process of hurting you back. See what I'm saying? Now, <laughs> This is the reality, man. See, this is the reality. And the fact of the matter is that many, many people do not sit or think long enough to understand that this is, this is a dead-end street. It's a dead-end street. And it only leads to more and more pain and more and more devastation and more and more hurt. Part of the sad thing is some of us are so hurt and so callous and so hard and been wounded so much till you, we cannot even take this kind of talk. Because all we want is the pain to stop. And we've already figured out ways to stop the pain. Don't listen to nobody talking like this. Don't hang out with nobody like this. Because this doesn't lead to nothing more than pain. Because whenever you deal with the truth, the truth often is like a sword to all of us, not just to you. I'm the one speaking, but I remind you, it's coming to me first. The hours preceding this time, me and God had some real major discussions here. This ain't about just a delivery to show off what Raphael Green knows, because that ain't nothing in that. There is no freedom, really, apart from the truth. And there's no healing apart from it. So God's, God's word uh, is, is introduced to us again and again and again. Look at verse 25. It says, a truthful witness saves lives. Verse 25 of Proverbs 14. A truthful witness saves lives. Here you see it in contrast. But he who speaks lies is treacherous. Uh, I'm dating myself about 20 years or more, but we used to call it being cold-blooded. You know, cold-blooded person was an individual that could do anything to anybody and it supposedly, seemingly on the surface, didn't even move. They could break a glass bottle, stick it in your face, turn it around, walk on, and go have a party cold-blooded. And that's what God's Word is saying here. Excuse me, I'm from the 60s and 70s. No, but he's just basically saying a liar is a cold-blooded person. And do whatever they want to do. Blow your brains out, don't make them indifferent. Go party. Pull a, pull a rape train on a girl, no big deal. Go off and laugh about it. See, it's a liar. And lie when somebody asks you if you did it. Did you devastate her? Yes. Talk about the blood and how it was run off, off the bed and everything. No, no problem. I heard it. Locker room talk. Brothers, don't you understand? Liars. 
treacherous, cold-blooded people. And they're not always telling lies when they're doing it. It's just a lifestyle. I watched a young man. This is kind of a, you know, a, a, a gross example, but I'll be discreet. Uh, was in the locker room, you know, used the restroom, never washed his hands, and walked out and said what he was going to do to some young girl, just right there. You want to see me make her smile? I'm going to take my hands and I'm going to put them on her face. I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say to her. That boy walked right out of that locker room, took his nasty hands, put them right on that girl's face, and she was grinning within 20 seconds. Cold-blooded. No, he didn't kill her. Mm-mm, not physically. I'm talking about being cold-blooded. That's what the Bible says a liar is. Cold-blooded. Treacherous. Now, the, the appealing thing about a lie is, is its logic. It makes sense. <laughs> it's convincing. It's powerful, man. It's really powerful. This is a wonderful message. Take a deep breath like Brother Herb said. Take a deep breath. You're going to enjoy this. Glory to God. Well, I've shown you a few at least a few, a few of the things that lies will do. And needless to say, uh, one more, Proverbs 29, okay? Verse 12. Same word for liars or lie is used here in this context. Now, it may not appear that way in your version. In mine, it doesn't. But the word falsehood there is the same thing for lies, okay? If a ruler pays attention to falsehood or to lies, all his ministers become wicked. Okay? I started to say this is not a political statement, but it's intended to deal with not only the political realm as, as far as this, our city government, our state, or national government, but in, in every aspect of our government, even in our homes. If the ruler, if the leader in the house listens to lies, all of his ministers, all of his associates, all of his servants, whatever way you want to define the word minister, the Bible says are criminals. They become criminals. <laughs> I tell you, you ever seen the Lord just totally dismantle a ministry? This is why. First, he'll deal with that man who's leading privately. That's what he'll do. If that man won't get restored privately, God will send two or three witnesses, one person, then two or three witnesses. And then eventually God will bring before the whole church. God will do it. Because God knows what happens to those who are in association with lying ministers. They become criminal. Or they are incriminated by, even if they don't do it, they are incriminated by that leader's behavior. And before God will let that happen, often he will completely remove the leader. That's why he demoted Saul, because he wasn't going to have that whole nation full of criminals and incriminated by his witchcraft behavior. God does reach a point where the health and the destiny of a people is more important to him as a matter of priority to preserve that rather than to preserve that man's image. And he will do it. He will do it. You see, the Bible addresses every issue. 
every issue. <laughs> now we want to take a look then a little bit at uncovering the root cause of lies. And this is an interesting one, and I, I need to go to the scriptures to do this because, uh, uh, again, we need to see that the Bible does address these things. The Bible really does address these things. Look in John chapter 8. The root cause of the logical lie. See, the root cause is not just a feeling. Feelings are only symptoms, and they are only mechanisms to get us to believe the lie. Circumstantial evidence is only, uh, only uh, mechanism. It's only a tool in the hands of the enemy to get us to believe the lie. The real cause, the root cause, is Satan himself. Look here in John chapter 8, and uh, Jesus just kind of laid into him here to help him understand the real nature of Satan. You, let, let me set the, let this, set the scene for you. You go back to verse 31. These folks have gotten to the point that he's talking to here. They did not believe that he really, you know, was who he said he was. Back in verse 12, he tells them he's the light of the world. Light means understanding. You ain't really the light of the world. You know, you just, you're just who you say you are. But you're not really. You're just a man. And so he's in this debate with these Jewish people, in this particular case, Jewish people, over, what, over who he is. And they don't believe him because of the words that he's using. He uses the phrase, I am, which only God should be able to use. So they reject him because of it. Look here down in verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Reading on, verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you or my message has no place in you. You've not given room for what I have to say, Jesus is saying. And these are respected Jewish leaders and people. Look here at verse 38. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. Isn't that amazing? How many times we say we love the truth, want the truth, but when the truth comes, we're ready to kill? What is it that, what is it that elicits that kind of response out of us? You know, we hear the truth, want the truth, but when the truth comes, we're ready to kill. <laughs> it's an amazing response. It's incredible. Look at this. Uh, verse 38 again. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. Verse 39, I'll read a portion Jesus said, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Abraham wasn't like this. You are doing the deeds of your father. Meaning, you're behaving like your father. If you were Abraham's children, you'd be glad to see me. Your father ain't Abraham, that's what he's saying. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Ooh, it's getting deep. Jesus said to them, 
If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. Listen, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Well, there's, there's really nothing uh, that diplomatic about that message. <laughs> Jesus just comes right down the middle of the pike, doesn't he? He just says, hey, here's the problem. You have your father the devil. Wow. So we see that the source of the logical lie is Satan. I'm going to show you logic in a moment, but uh, in the scriptures. But uh, the source of the logical lie is Satan. See? Again, the word logic meaning reasoning. I don't think we really understand that we basically have been breeded according to a standard that is not of the word of God. That's why it's so difficult for us to do, just as Jesus said to this group, to actually hear and embrace what we are hearing when he speaks to it. It almost sounds like he's speaking a foreign language to some of us. Okay, it really does. And part of that is not because we necessarily are liars in the sense, but because of the way we've been breeded to think. We've been breeded to think according a standard that is of a lie. See? The standard that basically governs the way that we choose to analyze information when it comes to us is based on a lie. Is that making sense to anybody? We do a lesson here in our leadership training on priorities, establishing priorities, and we learned something. We learned that priorities, uh, of course, relates to things in a succession of order. What comes first, what comes second, what comes third, what comes fourth. But we also learned that in order to establish that order, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, so on, there has to be an outside standard that is set so that we know, based upon that standard, what comes first, what comes second, what comes third, what comes so on. Now, the world has basically set its standard on the things I've mentioned. Experience, ungodly tradition, so forth and so on. Feelings, scientifically gathered data, much of which holds credence for a certain period of time, much of which, in other words, can be believed for a certain period of time. <laughs> but when, we, when it comes to God, we need to understand that God does not base his standard on any earthly standard, that he himself is the standard. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm not leading you to a truth. I'm not telling you to follow me if you choose. See, in that sense, if you want to be really know life in its ultimate fulfillment. He's saying, uh, I am the truth. Not Raphael Green, Jesus. Jesus said, he is the truth. He's the standard. 
that we base everything on. And the Bible says that he is the word of God made flesh. So when we X out, when we take out the word of God as the standard by which we judge what is right or wrong, we have then removed the only absolute fixed standard that will produce anything of any worth and any value. Now here again is where we struggle because we have been breeded. I'm going to prove it to you, show it to you. In this society, we have been breeded to think this way, okay? We have been breeded to think this way. Let me read to you. Remember the article that I talked to you about from, about Spiritual America, where, where, the, uh, where the report was taken, research was made on Spiritual America, where we are? 95% of Americans supposedly believe in God or universal spirit. Remember that? Okay, yet 70% believe there's nobody that can tell you what's right and wrong. It's all based on individual decision. That's amazing. 95% of us believe in God, <laughs> universal spirit, <laughs> and we believe in the inspired word of God. A considerable portion do. But yet 70% believe that there's nobody that can really tell you what's right and wrong. It's all you. See, it's logic. Look, look at this. In short, the poll paints a picture of a modern people as religious as ever, listen, but a people who are uncertain how to walk the walk in a pluralistic and secular society. U.S. News World Report, April 4, 1994. Uncertain how to walk. You ever find yourself struggling with what to do, how to walk in this pluralistic and secular society? I'm going to tell you why. Because this, these are not words that are just being drawn out of the hat. They're not just words that are flowery words that are being used by this journalist to paint some kind of pretty picture of our society. What the journalist is actually saying is that in this world, religious people, and of course the journalist means persons who profess a hope in God or any spiritual being, religious people basically struggle with how to live based upon their convictions about this God and from this God and how to translate them practically into everyday life because of the kind of society that we are in, a pluralistic and a secular society. Now listen to this. It's extremely important. Many people think that really the answer is simply uh, just being able to come up and talk to folk and, and prove to them that if they get their body healed that God did it and that they're going to be fine. That folks getting healed all the time and by the time they walk out of the meeting, pluralism is set in and secularism is set in. It's the way we're breeded. And I'm going to show it to you. The word uh, secular, as I've talked to you before about, basically means the thing that is happening at the moment, right now. One of the definitions, really, of the word secular is occurring once in an age or a century the happening thing. I also told you that the word secular means a view of life and time that does not include God or eternity. Remember that? Listen to this. The word also means relating to the worldly or the temporal concerns. Anything that is not overtly or specifically religious. 
Now, here at Metro, we define religious and we kind of look at it with a bit of disdain. We think of it as something that we don't want to be anyway, necessarily, because most people's idea of the word religious is so vast and so, uh, so stretched and so, so many-sided that we don't even think of that as a word that is something that people think of as being necessarily related to God. But this, this is not a definition that comes out of a theological dictionary. This is a definition that comes out of just the normal dictionary that many of our young college students read and do their research papers with. So to be secular means basically not to be in things that are not overtly or specifically religious, or we would say godly or spiritual, church-related. In fact, that's the next phrase, not ecclesiastical or clerical. To be secular means you're not involved in the ecclesia. You're not involved in the church and you're not interested in what happens that comes out of the church. Again, we, got, we, have, we have to clarify this because for most people, the church is just a traditional, institutionalized group of people who do not necessarily or may not necessarily really know God or the way to right relationship with God. It's a system of religion, imposed moral values. That's the way most people think of it. But in the mix of all of that is also the dagger. And here is the dagger. Now the true church of the living God, Jesus Christ to Israel, is now totally thrown out with all of even the junk. And that's not good. It means to be not bound or not to be bound by monastic vows or rules. You know, in a monastery, these were those who were part of the... Of, a, of becoming priests, vows of chastity and so forth, of or relating to inform, uh, informing clergy, meaning not to be involved with them, not belonging to a religious order or a congregation. Secular, secular. Secularism means indifference to or rejection or exclusion of religious and religion or any religious considerations. To secularize means to make secular. It means to transfer from ecclesiastical to civil or lay use, civil or lay possession, civil or lay control. Secularize. Not a soul. I'm trying to inform you. That's the struggle. And when we see many politicians who raise their hands and sing songs about God and about being a Christian, go down the street and sing if they're singing the same song with the Muslim community and with the Baha'i community and with the Confucius community and with the Buddhist community or any other community. Listen, to secularize means to transfer from ecclesiastical to civil or lay. Lay meaning from the word laos, meaning people. People use, people possession, people control. Here's the clincher. To convert to by penetrating and infringing or infusing with this belief. It means to tinge or to die deeply. So no matter what it is, if it's Christ and the gospel, then you tinge it with that which is not of God, secularize, to infiltrate, because there is another agenda. 
See, we're labeled as being narrow-minded and weak and stupid and like we don't really know what we want to do. I'm not here to defend that or to argue against it. My point is that we need to understand that secularism is going on in the church and has always gone on. The goal is not just one happy-go-lucky uh, community. Who do you think is behind the doctrine of secularism? The same one that inspired and motivated this group to rise up with the audacity to kill Jesus. The New World Order came straight out of his heart. Like it or not, that's the truth. Because the New World Order does not recognize Christ as King. It recognizes that man and identifies man as the one who is the one and only one that is able to determine what's right and wrong. Right here on the hills of the acceptance of abortion and the supposed at least palatable exception, acceptance of homosexuality, you will be bombarded with euthanasia over the next three or four years. Because man decides who's fit to live. Man decides who's fit to die. We don't hear the ancient wisdom of Jacob as he cries out to his own wife and said, am I in the place of God to give life or death? We're a different society. We're educated, but we're stupid. Forget it, young people. Please understand this. When you come here, you're going to have to use your brain, but you're going to do more than use your brain. You've got to use your heart. You've got to learn to hear from God on some issues. So they're not going to tell you in these schools some of the same stuff we preachers will tell you. We're not some elite group. We're not better than anybody else. We're human. We make mistakes and we fail. But we'll tell you the truth if we've been with God. And the truth is that you have been infiltrated. You have been tinged from the time you was in your mother's womb. You've been raised to think of God in connection with something else being the real standard. God is not the standard. Your mind is the standard. My logic is the standard. My feelings are the standard that I use to determine what's right and wrong. That's the way the world operates. And if it can't operate on that level, if you've got enough money, your feelings don't mean nothing. That's how whole communities can rot and die while billionaires sit on yachts. Fine, you can, you can have your yacht, but it does not justify the means by which you've killed people to get your money. This is the kind of message prophets preach, by the way. They didn't just stay in buildings. They went and talked to some of those folks that had some money and was living like the devil and justifying their nice nastiness because they had the money to cover it up. It's a logical lie. And all these kids grew up thinking, all you got to do is get a good job or somehow finagle your way around the system to make the buck. And that if you get enough money, you'll get the kind of house, the kind of car, the kind of things you want. And you will be fulfilled and you'll be happy. It's a lie! Some of you have seen it so many times, even you young people, 15, 16, 17 years old, you're so sick of the lies, you're courting suicide. You don't know you're courting suicide. It starts, suicide never comes and says, take your life. Suicide, the spirit of suicide always says, life ain't worth living. That's the first thing the suicide spirits say. It never says, take your life. Because that spirit knows you've got enough sense to know what you're being told to do. The first thing it must do is devalue your life. And if it can devalue your life, it will be logical to take your life. 
because you're not worth anything. Abortion, homosexuality, euthanasia, that's where it's going. If it ain't wrong to kill a baby six months in utero, what's wrong with killing a person 32 years out of utero? Logic! Think! That's why they're gunning down folk. If it ain't wrong to take him out of baby six months in utero, what's wrong with taking his life at 30 years old once he's out? Logic! If I'm a little angry about it, please understand I am really angry about it. No, it's not right to do either, sir. Young man, it's not right to do either. It's not right to take them in utero, and it ain't right to touch them after they come out of here. God is the author of life, not you. Self-defense is one thing, but cold-blooded murder is another. And you will answer to Almighty God. Call me stupid, call me crazy, call me old-fashioned, but there is a true and living God, and you will answer to him. Hallelujah. I don't care how much money you're making, you'll leave it all here. And the very thing you fought, God will give it to us to build, to destroy your argument. Glory to God, hallelujah. I can't explain that, it just came on me. I had to say that, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pluralism. Pluralism is the state or quality of being plural. That tells us a whole lot. Listen to all this stupidity and definitions. It's a theory that there are more than one, that there are more than one or more than two kinds of, hear this, of ultimate reality. You see, that, that sounds philosophical, so it don't make much sense right now. That being interpreted is there is God and there is Satan. It's a fight to the finish. We don't know who's going to win. There's the power of God, light and truth, and there's the power of darkness, evil, and we don't know who will win. The agenda behind the New Age movement is that the end of this decade, the end of this century, the end of this millennium, by the end of this bimillennium, there will be the dawning of a new age, the age of darkness. So all these Christians buying all these crystals and carrying on. I hope you understand what you're buying into and what you're open up your home to. You're going to read your astrology book, you don't care what that stupid preacher has to say. It's you and your life, and you can do what you want to. That's right. But please understand. See, I used, to, I used to wonder, God, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong? And I know there's something wrong with me. But God, <laughs> you know, we're going to pray for folk, and they die anyhow. Some of these folks have dogged God and dogged the will of God so long to even when we pray. You hear me? God told Jeremiah, don't even pray for those folk. I'm through. You can reach that place. You can reach that place. I used to think because we didn't have no faith. Some of these folks have dogged God and his word so long. They have stolen and pillaged people economically in every other kind of way. And though some of them may have deathbed conversions, they leave here in spite of our praying. And they do it because they've lived this life thinking that there are two or more ultimate realities. Well, I might have to answer with God, but I'm not sure if that's really true, or I might have to answer to Satan. I'm not really sure if that's true. And there might be something else in between. 
God said to Isaiah, write it down. I am God beside me. There is none other. Now, you want to test it? Come on. There is none other. There is God and there is no other. The very name God means there ain't nobody else. You can't be really truly God and have any other gods. God means Lord, Master, King, top of the heap, head honcho, ain't nobody else. Everybody else is the posse. Angels included. Everybody else bows down to him. Everything else bows down to him. Beside me, there is none other. You see, pluralism, this is our society. It's a theory. The thing I learned about theories is you spend your life trying to prove them. A theory. Some of y'all catch that by Wednesday. A theory. That there are more than one or more than two kinds of ultimate reality. A theory that reality is composed of a plurality of entities. And see, this is where truth gets really difficult because now we're dealing with the fact that there are some other things that exist in the world, entities, groups of people, as well as individuals, as well as whole institutions, as well as demon spirits. There are, are other entities, so we cannot deny that. Look at this. A state, this is us, here we are, a state of society in which members of diverse ethnic, racial, religious, or social groups maintain an autonomous participation in and development of their traditional cultures or special interests within the confines of a common civilization. The final one is that pluralism means a concept, catch this, a doctrine or policy advocating this state. I keep telling you there's a hidden agenda. There's another whole doctrine, y'all, that's trying to keep us living, believing that there is, <laughs> there is more than one kind of ultimate reality. It's a teaching. It's in our schools. I don't think we should have no Christian school. Just go to another school and be a witness. Fine. We need some Christian schools. Don't you understand that schools were started by the church? In 1832, Horace Mann, the modern architect of modern American education, along with several others, united to get the Bible out of schools. What was it replaced with? It was replaced with a doctrine, a teaching, a message, a concept, a policy to keep this group of people in a certain state. It's called confusion. It's called a lie. You're going to hear this in Public Policy 101. See, because they know, they know us, y'all. All we're interested in is getting the law degree. See, I, I don't care. I don't care about what people really believe. I believe what I believe. I'm going to go with what I believe, and that's cool. See, that's where we think. That's the way we think. That's the way we think. As long as I'm going to make $75,000 a year as an attorney or $150,000, what? Hey! I got mine. No, if you believe in Buddha and you believe in sleeping with dogs, you believe in sleeping with clats and you're a pedophile, fine! You can be a judge. Did you get the law degree? Did you prove yourself? 
<laughs> Where is the standard? Oh yeah, we have one. The standard is as long as the money is right, as long as the BA degree or the JD is there, that's all we need. All I need is the degree. I need the stamp of approval from some state, 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 state authorized institution who already has underscored that the policy will be, you will be secularized, you will be pluralized in your delivery. Away from those naive, narrow-minded, short-sighted, ain't got no sense, bow-legged, jack-legged preachers. Huh? Okay. This is the message that's for the street. This ain't, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> this is for where we live, y'all. This is what we're dealing with. Now, I got, <laughs> I'm telling you the war is on. And this is how all the apostles preach, all the prophets preach like this. This ain't nothing new. This ain't unique to Raphael Green. This is how they all preach, men and women of God that are much more famous, much more well-known, much more powerful than I will ever be. They all preach this way, and ultimately it costs their lives. Because as long as you're over there in that barn or sitting up there in that building, and y'all are going, glory, hallelujah, and you let me let the people rule, let these prophets that have been indoctrinated in the doctrine of pluralism rule your family, rule your nation, you are fine. But the moment you dare to say, no, this nation belongs to God, we're going back in. Don't get me wrong. I don't believe that every single person that came to this nation in the 17th century or the 15th century or the 16th century had noble religious and spiritual ideas, but some of them did, and they placed crosses and everything else they could on this soil to stop this garbage. And 400, 500 years later, we got the same garbage, and we got the same garbage because we don't understand as a church that the very thing we must do, 32 or three weeks ago, I preached to you, the first, the very thing we must be willing to be and do is the thing we run from. We are saved, we are delivered by being scandals. We must make a decision. I will be scandalized. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what they think. It doesn't matter if they think I'm narrow-minded. It doesn't matter if they think I'm religious. It doesn't matter. What matters are the souls, see? That's what matters. What matters is God getting the glory. That's what matters. It doesn't matter if people think I'm a scandal. Doesn't matter. It don't matter if they scandalize my name and destroy. Doesn't matter. Truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter. See? And that's where the lies start. They get in on us, man. They come. It don't take all that. You ain't got to run around act like that. That preacher lost his mind. He expects you to be like that? Yes, and worse. And worse. Here, I can preach and yell and scream. You can't do that on your job necessarily. But you can be forthright. You can be straightforward. You can come right down the pike, see? You can come right down the pike with it. Straight. Well, see, let's look at it this way. Let's look at it. When you get to looking at all them ways, there is Jesus. Beside him, there is none other. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. And there, are no, there is no other group of people on the planet that can do it. I wish I had more time. My God, I'm out of time. 
There's no other people that can do it. Let me close up here for the day. What's the Lord? See? <laughs> Remember the definition of the word Lord? Turn to James chapter 1. Here's the Lord. Hunter David said, this is good. I'm enjoying this. this now, don't say if it ain't true. You know, hallelujah. Listen to this. Scripture says, let no man, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed. The word enticed there is the word Lord. By his own lust. Remember what Jesus said? He said, the reason why y'all can't hear me is because my word ain't got no place in you. Remember what he said? He said, the re <laughs> you hear me talking? I'm speaking in the language that you understand. But the reason why you don't understand me and even why you reject me and what I'm saying to you is because my message ain't no place in you for what I got to say. Now, <laughs> This is the interesting thing for Jesus to say, because when he made this statement, man, he is dealing straight up with these folks. He's telling them really what the problem is. He's saying the place that ought to be given to me is a place that has a desire for something else. It's a craving for something else. It's another nerve word for the word lust. See, he said that about Satan. He said the prince of this world, meaning Satan, has already been judged. Now what he means was Satan has been given a realm of authority and a season of authority over this earth realm, even though God is over him, so God is over the whole world. But Satan has been given a realm, and so he's referred to as a prince or a ruler of this age. That's all it's about. And, and what he means is, uh, he said, the prince of this age has been judged. There has been a, an appraisal, and there's been a verdict. The judgment is written. It's been spoken, and part of it has come to pass, and in a few days from now, he said, I'm gonna die, and another part of it's gonna be done, see? And when I come back, the rest of it gonna be finished because I'm putting him in hell. He's going to hell. Oh yeah, hell, Satan is going to hell and everybody decided to go with him, go with him. It's written, it's there. And, and so far, God ain't been lying yet. <laughs> he came here in spite of it. All those babies got killed and he still survived. He grew up right in his face, walked right out when they tried to kill him. And then when he decided to die, he said, now, I'm going to die. You ain't taking me. He ain't lied yet. He's done it. Every single thing he said he was going to do. And when I die, I'm getting up. And he got up, and they saw him, and he went away. And before he went away, he said, I'm coming back. Now, who would you believe? He did everything else he said he was going to do. Why don't you believe him for this? Look here what the Word of God says. But each one of you is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust, his own craving, his own desire, his own greed. For what? See? Now the word lore is an interesting word, and I want to read it to you because it's important for you to, to hear it again to understand what the word lore means. The word lore means an enticement or an appeal, a decoy for attracting animals to capture. Hear this, it means to draw 
with a hint of pleasure and gain. So there's something in us that wants two things, pleasure and we want a gain. We would call that success. See, that's not necessarily bad. But we need to understand it can reach a stage where it becomes something that is lusted after. See, lust is an obsessing, obsessive craving. I must have it, and I will stop at nothing to get it. So anything that comes into the picture that looks like it's going to fulfill that craving, now it can be fulfilled. Because usually lust overrides your will to a certain degree. It nudges on it, 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 until you just kind of break down underneath it. Now, the Bible says God never brings any carrots that's going to entice us into evil, into doing that which is wicked, that which is injurious, that which is bad, that which is criminal. Whatever God does, it's always leading to that which is righteous. So the scripture says, do not say, God, the reason why I'm into this is because of you. No, 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 no. God's word says, verse 15, verse 14, but each one, that's all of us, each one is tempted when he is carried away and lured or enticed by his own Where is it? Where is it? So the enemy sees us going, <laughs> and he brings a carrot. God didn't do that. Well, see, I, I got a witness. I got a witness to him, and can't no other sister or brother go with me? And you know you really like the guy. <laughs> and logic kicks in and tells you he might die before somebody else gets to him. <laughs> And what you mean somebody else might get to him means somebody else might get him before you get him. <laughs> I'm, talk I'm talking to the church. <laughs> Would you your neighbor and say, he's talking to, to the church. He's talking to the church. See, this was written to the church. It's to the church. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. So it wasn't God. It wasn't the problem. The problem ain't God. How come you didn't help me? The problem's not God. See, the problem's not God. Because God's always helping us in two-hour services or four-hour services on Sunday as well as other things. Holy Spirit's bringing to our remembrance the word. See, we, we, expect, <laughs> we expect God to uh, beat us up. Just, you're going to do this? I don't care what you say. You're doing it. You're doing it. See, no, that's not what he's going to do. Would you look at him and say, it ain't going to happen that way. <laughs> I, I know you think it will. Oh, we heard all this testimony about how the Lord drugged people in. Uh-uh, they yielded. He allowed several things to happen to him, but eventually they yielded to God. God doesn't save nobody against their will. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Read my lips, and I got plenty of them. Nobody.
It's a will thing. See? And that's where we got the problem. Because especially our generation, the baby boomers and the boomettes and the Generation X and, all, you know, 13X and all the rest of the names we get. See, uh, we, don't, we don't know that much about deferred gratification and about waiting. In three minutes, we see five years pass on television or in a movie. And so we, we I'm serious, we're, we're hyperventilating when we have to go through something in an hour in real life. I mean, we can't take it. Man don't talk to you right at the job, you too. Hey, yo, I'm out the joke. You know? When you come to yourself a week later, when your stomach starts to hurt because you ain't got no money to pay for no food, your babies are crying, you need shoes, the mortgage is due, then you start to think, maybe, maybe I should have stayed. <laughs> maybe I should have looked for something while I was going through my pain. Uh -huh. and believe God. No, no, because in, in our minds, the only thing we are, we have been, we have been breeded, see? We've been breeded, satisfied, satisfied. <laughs> satisfied, satisfied. That's what we've been breeded to do. Want something to eat? Here. Want a hundred dollar pair of shoes? Here. Here. Ain't got to work for nothing. Just here. Come on. We, Shop a Salvation Army? Oh, no! I can't go to school like that. <laughs> Your parents come and say, would you please go cut the grass, and then after you cut the grass, trim the hedges. Then after you do that, you know, let's go down and pick you up what you want. Say what? Because we've been oriented. Feed them. Give it to them. Let them have it. Nobody, nobody satisfied you when you was going through and you was about to die and nobody else gave you what you wanted. So now you prove, you told yourself when you have children, when they, you're going to give them every time they. You ain't gonna have your children walking out your house saying to their friends down the street, my mama wouldn't satisfy my... <laughs> and so when a word like this comes in church, we don't understand, see? We don't understand. We have been, we have breeded. We have been breeded and we have been breeding our children. And because they don't understand that we failed, and we, we sure ain't gonna tell them we failed. No, I'm not gonna tell my child I'd raise you the wrong way. No, we're not gonna tell them I really should have curbed your appetite. Or we try to do it all in one week, what we undo in one week, what we took 15 years <laughs> doing. See, after a while, it ceases to be comical, doesn't it? Because it's not funny anymore. Because you've got to have it! And then when you're strung out on something your mama can't pay for, like cocaine or crack or some woman, and they, no matter how much drugs they put in your body, they can't get that disease out your body! You will kill to get it! Because you got to, you got to have it!
And Satan knows where you are, man. <laughs> He's in one of his demons because he knows. He knows just one little carry, one little carry. She'll do whatever I want her to do. She'll grovel like a dog. She'll lick me, suck me, do anything else I want her to do. She'll do it because she wants that right. Where are you, God? Uh, I told you, I'm on a mission. I don't care nothing about being famous. I'm on a mission. I don't care nothing about it. I appreciate what they're trying to do. They put on our neckties and put on our vests and we sign our documents and sit in our civic halls and we make up our ways to try to deter and distract and keep from. But what's needed now is deliverance! You can only distract for so long. You can only detour for so long. You can only deter for so long. Now we need deliverance! It's only going to come, well, they may not pack out this hall. That's all right. But it's only going to come through the truth. The truth is the only thing going to make you free. Nothing else will. And they'll keep your money. You'll come to counseling sessions for 5, 10, 15, 20 years of your life because the counselor ain't got enough guts to tell you the truth or doesn't even know the truth to tell you. My God, that you believe the policy, you believe the concept, you believe the doctrine that renders you unable to even recognize deliverance when it's on your doorstep. Why is my pain perpetual? Why are my wounds incurable? Here it is, refusing to be healed. How could a person be in so much pain and so many wounds and yet refuse to be healed? Because of logical lies. So the word of the Lord comes to the prophet of God. And he said, look, I ain't dealing with them now. I'm dealing with you. You get right with me and you stay right with me. And you separate the worthless or the precious from the vile. You take out the thing that's precious to me and you focus in on that and you speak it. They can turn to you, but don't you turn to them. I'll make you like a brazen city, like a wall. Don't you move off of what I call precious. My God, stand on your feet. We got to go. Hallelujah. Uh, hey. 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 Oh.